All right, welcome back everybody to our latest installment of the Hallway Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Jackson. Um, once again, this podcast is brought to you by the BCE program, Business of Creative Enterprises at Emerson College. Joined as always by our producer, Kristen. How are you, Kristen? I'm good today. How are you guys? Good, good, good. And then we have our special guest, Torre. I don't know if you, you don't use the lad, the government. We don't use the last name publicly, do we? Uh, I mean, I do, you know, it's, it's, I'm kind of getting to that space where I have to start to use my full name, you know, Torrey's the artist and then Torrey Carr is like the entire entity business, you know, brand. Right. Um, and I, and I see there's a little bit of this, the little acting was added recently. I don't know you did that commercial and I didn't see it when it aired, but when you posted on IG, right. so acting the new is that's coming into play too. Absolutely. It's, um, it was always like on my list of goals just because the people I were inspired by always made that transition from music into television and film. So, you know, growing up watching LL, Latifah, Pac, Cube, the list goes on and on. Um, for me, you know, it was just like a natural transition, go from music into the acting space. Yeah. So before we get it, so everybody, what we're going to be talking about is going to dig into the Grammys which happened last <laughs> right. And then Tor, what is your, what's your official title? Aren't you like the New York chapter president now? I'm the vice president of the New York chapter, yes. With presidential oh. aspirations. <laughs> there you go, there you go. But, um, so, but I kind of want to rewind the clock because as I was saying right before, I think your whole evolution as a professional and as an, as an artist needs to be celebrated a bit more than it is because it just sort of evolves in front of you. And I don't know if anybody's ever stopped to kind of talk to you about how it, how it looks from the outside. So I'm gonna just cut, so let's start from the beginning because how I met you, you were just a, you were just an MC. I was just trying to get on the stage. I was just trying to get on the Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. But it but was it? It was before that. It was you. Remember you put out the album and somebody when we were running Brooklyn Bodega wrote oh, a bad review. Yes, yes, that is that was and you yes. came for us. Did I? I? I was maybe I probably did. Not not in a, not not in an aggressive. I just remember so yeah, this yeah, thousand yeah. years ago, when Brooklyn Bodega was also kind of like had an editorial voice, yes. and we had people doing reviews of records. And Torre was that your first album, right? I forget which project it was, um, it was but I forget it which one it was. Down. Yeah, it was before Dug Down. That was in that happened in '09. I was, I think it was like maybe my 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 debut mixtape or my breakthrough mixtape. And it wasn't that it was a bad review. It was just like certain parts of it. I was like, is this a personal thing? Because it didn't sound like it was a music critique, which I'm cool with, right? This is the business to be in where people are gonna talk, they're gonna criticize your work. But I took like, I took, I think I took just more, I was more upset with the, with the, like it felt like a personal attack, but it's so far, I forget what it was, but it was, uh, yeah, I, I remember. I mean, and it's just so funny of like, yeah, to say that I, I was like, I bet you he forgot how I yeah. met you because we done totally so did. much after that, but he kind of, so I don't even know who wrote it. It wasn't me, but right. when it, I remember <laughs> coming through, people were like, yo, this dude Torre is upset at us. And I was just like, you know, it, I think you may have been the first person to kind of really check the writers and be like, yo, what are you talking about? And people really got a level of respect for you because of the way you came at us. So anyway, so Tori puts out an album and then 
sort of in a pinch, you come in, become the the basically the host of the Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival. You did that for about like six, seven years, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I listen. Always an amazing time. Always just like happy and honored to be a part of the festival. You know, along with yourself and the whole Bodega staff, Ebony, Ralph McDaniel's, like. That was like, that's like a highlight. That's something I still like when people ask me some of the highlights of my career, of all the things I did, like being a Brooklynite and just being on that stage year after year was always like just one of those times for me. Yeah. And I, and I just, just so people who understand, I, I, I totally remember it was 2010. And for some reason, like Ralph, Uncle Ralph McDaniels for all of our hip hop heads out there, Kristen, I hope uh, Antoine has educated you about Uncle Ralph McDaniels. Or he's going to be in big trouble with me, but, but that's another issue. So Kristen is taking a, a hip hop course that we're doing um, at Emerson, and I don't know if you know Antoine Hardy. He's sort of, eh, he's sort of on that blog blogosphere world. Um, with what's the guy from uh, in, in Chicago, Fake Shore Drive? Um, um uh, what's his name? From Fake Shore. Oh, he's gonna kill me. I'm sorry if he watches this because I love him. Yeah, but yeah it, me too. I, I this is like escaping me right now. Yeah, um, but he runs with some of those dudes. But anyway, I brought him on to, to do some online classes for us up there in Boston. Uh, and now I developed a hip hop class and now Antoine's teaching and Kristen has taken um, that. But anyway, the long story. So uh, Ralph McDaniels was our longtime host. I, I feel like at the last minute, he was like, I could only come at like four o'clock. So we were like, we have no host for the early part of the day. And somebody, I feel it was probably Pamela way back in the day was like. Yeah, it was Pam. Pam vouched for me. Shout out to Pam. She vouched for me. And you were not with it. And you I was not, not with it. it. I was not with it. I was not with it because at the time I was like, how is this guy going to translate the skills as an artist, as a public? Because I'm going to tell you to a really what it was, is a lot of artists would, would, had got in that space and turned it into like a performance slot. Right, right, right. They doing their songs in every break. And I was like, I don't need no, you know, I don't need nobody backdooring me right. into the slot. But you had our back is against the wall. And she vouched for me. And I was like, all right, let's give it a shot. And that was pushing back against that was one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. And I'm glad I, I realized the error of my ways because, you know, you really held us down from that. So that, that was 10. So that was the last year. That was the last five years you did it. Which was really yeah. great. Amazing. But anyway, but I'm gonna shut up. Tell me your story about your evolution. So tell me the Torre from Coney Island, because now you're 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 a full blown media personality. So just walk us through your, the evolution of your career, please. Uh, I will try to give you the short, abridged version. So yes, came into this space as an MC from Coney Island, from Brooklyn, New York. Um, entry level position in hip hop is MCing to me, right? Because all you need is a pad and a pen. And if you don't have that, memorize it like Biggie and Jay. Uh, so that was really like my journey for 15, 20 years, you know, trying to get in as an MC. And then I started to make some traction, you know, in the independent underground scene. I think like I broke through right as the industry was splitting or, or shortly after the industry was splitting. So like you had the, the Jiggy era and then you had like the raucous side you know so i ended up in the fat beats raucous space which was amazing um i partnered with fat beats in like oh five or six to put out a mixtape and some vinyl that led me to get the recognition of dug down records which is another you know new york and brooklyn staple i was so honored to sign the dug down in 09 and put a project out with marco polo 
Um, and around that time, which is like like shortly right before I started working with you all on the on the Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival, DJ Eclipse of Rocksteady Crew of Nonfiction has a mix show on Sirius XM that he still has. And he invited me to be his co-host on the show. And I was initially apprehensive, like, I'm a rapper. Why would I want to host a radio show? Like, the two doesn't make sense. Like, now you see artists doing so many things. But at that point, it was still like, all right, especially with me still kind of getting my footing as an artist and people getting familiar with me, I was like, I don't want people to see me as a host. But because DJ Eclipse had done so much for my career up until that point, from putting me in Fat Beats to bringing me to halftime radio, like, I couldn't flat out tell him no. So I said, I'll give it a shot. And, you know, my two-week give it a shot turned into, like, three years with DJ Eclipse. And then I got comfortable in the radio space and in that media space. And I reached out to the program director at the time and said, I think I could do my own show. He was like, I was just waiting for you to tell me. And um, I got a show. I started off on the weekends. You know, they always give you that weekend slot. So I started off Sunday mornings. I was on Sunday mornings on my own show for about three or four months. And then DJ Ski, who was doing the evening drive, which is a really important day part, like five to 11 or midnight, he, um, he left. He left the station and they said, listen, we're going to try you in this interim spot. Uh, we're going to try you here until we figure out what we're going to do like long term. And I, I've been on well, my own show for seven years. So we still in the interim seven years later. Um, and then in, in that time, obviously, you know, I just utilized the opportunities and the relationships. So from hosting Sirius XM allowed me to host BT and MTV and be a correspondent for Revolt. Um, also, the relationships I formed as an artist, you know, allow me to continue to make music as an independent artist with my own brand and company. I've been able to do that. Um, moving into the writing space for like the last two years and change, I've been writing for other artists. I've got gold, platinum. I just got a billboard number one um, last week. So, well, not last week, but the plaque was delivered last week. I can't say the week. because hey, What was know. that? I saw that on IG. What, what project was that? Uh, so, you know, as a writer, people say ghostwriter, I'm not a ghost, I'm very much alive, but, you know, as a, as a writer, um, especially in the hip hop space, it's just taboo to talk about it. I don't even like to say that I'm a songwriter for others because then, you know, anybody can say it because you really don't have to produce any re receipts, as you will. But my team was like, Torre, you know, you've been doing this for two years, you've had a whole lot of success, and I think a big part of my thing is that I'm so humble. I don't really talk about my stuff or brag, although I'm saying you humble is kind of like an oxymoron. But, um, you know, they were just like, yo, Toy, you got to start talking your shit, for lack of a better term. And so I was like, well, how can I do this? And so I put the billboard number one up and I like, you know, redacted the names or whatever. So you see that the, the work is there, but again, you know, without breaking the code. And then um, in 2016, my brother Fonte from Little Brother, you know, Brooklyn Hip Hop Flex alum, um, he reached out to me. He was actually doing some writing for a TV movie that was coming uh, through Viacom and VH1 called The Breaks, which was based on Dan Charnas' book, The Big Payback. He said, Torre, there's a role in here that I think you would be perfect for. I don't know if you're into acting or want to do acting. I had done like little stuff prior to that, but I was like, absolutely. I went in, I auditioned, um, I ended up booking the role. And that's what really like brought my, my like passion back for being in the television and film space. And from then, uh, I picked up an acting coach, Wendy McKenzie. We worked together and I've done six commercials, two, two movies. I'm actually filming a movie next week 
And um, yeah, you know, so I, I, I found my way into the television and film space. So that's kind of what I've been focused on for the last couple of years, songwriting and TV film stuff. And I still have my Sirius XM show that's Monday through Friday and I'm done. <laughs> that's, I mean, I mean, I think I'm glad, I'm glad again, like you need to talk your shit as they say, because, you know, I know that's not, you're not comfortable doing that, but I think it is important for people to hear that story because it's, it's like an evolution that almost, I feel like all, all artists would love to do, right? And I've just sort of watched you kind of move place by place, you know, and really excel um, into it. But I guess, so is it safe to say, was Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival one of your first hosting duties or had you started with, with, with Eclipse before that? I was with Eclipse before that. Actually, yeah. I think the first big, big thing I did was the Nokia Theater, um, which was crazy. I was um, I was working with Peter Oasis at the time. You know, if you're from New York and the city, you know Peter. And he had put up, he was putting on all these shows, and he was like, "Yo, I want you to host the Nokia Theater." And I was like, "Wow, that's amazing!" And it was like most deaf and J Electronica with me as the host. It was like crazy packed out venue. That was one of my first moments, but. Being an artist, I was never uncomfortable with being on stage. Like, you know, overseas where I get my bread and butter, where, where you know, we've toured extensively. I mean, I'm on my third passport just off hip hop. Like I got my passport in 06 or seven, maybe, yeah, around then. And I've been, you know, all around the world a few times. But I've been on stage in front of 10,000 people, 20,000 people performing. So for me, that's never just an uncomfortable position. So like, you could put me, in a room of 10, you could put me in a small venue, you could put me at a huge festival, I'm gonna I'm a handle it. So being on stage and hosting the festival, like with my personality qualities, you know, like my, my sensibilities, my wit, your humor, and um, just the fact that I'm comfortable on stage is never an uncomfortable moment for me. Yeah, now it makes total sense. Like, again, you push, I think that's what it was because you were, you were with Eclipse. That's why I think she suggested you yeah, but it is. It makes total sense when you think about it. Like, MCs are used to being on stage, used to having those eyes on you, yeah. used to having to get the crowd excited, controlling the movements. Um, it's almost what we say, you know, in the BCE is we try to teach our scholars about transferable skills. Absolutely. Right? And whether you are, you know, I try to tell theater people, you know, take that acting uh, talent when you give a pitch in the boardroom, but this is the this is the same energy, but like, yo, if you can stand up in front of 10,000, you could certainly stand up in front of whatever, you know, 3,000, whatever we had, it ain't nothing. And it's easier, right? Cause it's not like your lyrics and you gotta stay on beat. You just yeah. crack jokes. Yeah. It is interesting, but it's so logical, but um, sort of hard, I think for some people to see. So I'm, I'm just wanna, I wanna set that out cause I'm really proud of you, man. And I see you, you know, the interviews you're doing on the IG things. First of all, your, the interviews, your guests on your IG things are exactly the people who I want to talk to. You know, it's like real hip hop head shit. Right, I right. That. But okay, now that we're, we're done ex explaining the, the excellence of Torrey Carr, let's get into it. Torrey, what the hell is up with the Grammys? You know me, when, when, when I've had my rants, we've had our discussions, Right. I when I was doing my little bootleg show when I was back at York, when Q-Tip went crazy, when he didn't right. get nominated, I remember we were going back and forth. But I'm gonna, I guess my first thing is, 
why I I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you my position, and I and I love you, and I and I'll support you in whatever it is that you got to do. However, I think Go. the validation that artists, particularly hip hop artists, and particularly black artists, seek from the Grammys bothers me. Right. That this idea that we can be good in our neighborhood, good in our community, make a decent living, right? But somehow you're not really official until this organization, which is not representative of us or our community, right. it seems like hyper assimilationism, like let's like white people's ice is colder and black people could like you, but until these old white people like you, you're not legit. So, but that's my beef. Like, am I, I wanna know what is your view on it? I mean, obviously, I, I mean, I know, I mean, I'm just gonna put that out there and you just, let's start it there. What do you- Yeah, let me, let me just right. to answer that, right? You know, I totally get it. And you know me, like I'm, I'm pro-black man. So whatever we can do for the community to uplift, to build our own thing, I'm 10,000% for that. But what's the difference between being the best basketball player on your block and being in the NBA, right? There's, there's, there's a league, there's a place that people perform at their highest and, and we all wanna be recognized for putting in work and being the best at it, right? You could be a street ball legend and be a bust in the NBA or the NFL or, you know, and we didn't start those things. Did we go in and excel and, and master and be some of the best to do it? Absolutely. But that's what was started by a Canadian, Dr. James Naismith, right? So the Recording Academy at its core is supposed to be built up of the recording community, which is a peer-based voting system. Your engineers, your producers, your songwriters, your singers, your rappers, all the creatives in the music space are who's supposed to make up the Recording Academy. Now, you know, from when it was started, obviously who was started by and when it was started, was it predominantly white? Yes, absolutely. Just like everything else in this country. And we came in and we said, listen, we're here and we deserve representation. And oh, by the way, we're going to excel and probably do it better than the people that started it, the people that wrote out the laws. And so that's what the Recording Academy is. What we have an issue with, in my opinion, is voting membership because one, I don't think the Recording Academy does a, a spectacular job about how we let people know how to be a part of it. You know, if that was by design or not, if you have six credits in music, you can be a part of the Recording Academy, six creative credits. Like if you were executive producer on six albums, you cannot vote. But if you have vocal, you've done vocals or you've produced or you've engineered or you've done artwork or you've mixed or you've mastered on six projects, you are now eligible to be a voting member. I don't think the hip hop community knows that so well. Um, and also I think it's just easier to throw rocks from outside the building in all honesty. You know, I joined the Academy in 2016 for a few reasons. I was curious as to how it worked, but more so my selfish reasons. I had a project out. I was like, man, I'm on Billboard. Like my album's out, it's independent. I, 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 I mailed it out from my living room. It's doing really well. How do I get this Grammy recognition? Because as an artist, just like in any other thing, you want to be recognized by the people that you deem the the um, the the ones who give it like the biggest validation, right? Of course, we validate ourselves each and every day. But if you play ball, you want to go to the league. If you get to the league, you want to win rookie of the year, defensive player. You want to win a championship. Those are like the championships of the recording academy, um, along with other. Um, 
award ceremonies, you know, but I think that the Grammys is just looked at as like that, the peak of the peak. And so in 2016, I was like, well, how do I get involved? I reached out to a friend, Reg West, who put me in contact with someone else. And ultimately I ended up in their offices and they were just the most gracious, humble people. So Ray, um, we like your music. We love what you're doing. At this point in your career, you're already eligible to be a voting member. And then they said, and we need you. We, and this is 2016, we need you because we have a terrible relationship with the hip hop RB community. Um, we don't get it right. And we need people from that community to be a part of it so that at least there's somebody in here who knows what the hell is going on in that space. And so we can start to right some of our wrongs. And that was really what excited me was like, they were really, really like mindful about the mistakes that they had continuously made and wanted to get people in. So Ray, you connected, you know everybody. Listen, if we can get you in, then maybe we can get Q-tip next year and we won't have these type of issues, right? And so that was one of the first things that excited me. And then the Recording Academy as a whole is not just the Grammys. The Grammys is one night of the year. There's also Grammy U, which does amazing things with college students that want to be in the industry. There's also Music Kids that gives away millions and millions of dollars to people who come across hard times that are artists or work in the music industry and you don't have to be a part of the Recording Academy. If you work on tours, you know, backstage building stages or what have you, and you break your leg and you can't tour for two months, they will cover your rent. Like, that's what's real to me because I know artists that fall across across hard times. Um, there's Grammys on the Hill advocating for songwriters, advocating for artists in Washington, talking to Congress people, you know, making sure these bills get passed so that artists who music is played on the radio, you don't get paid as a recording artist. You get paid as a songwriter. So if I got a song, but Wes wrote it, when it plays on the radio, it's my song. I'm the bells and whistles. I don't get paid from that play the songwriter gets paid. And so it was about trying to make the business fair, the industry fair, the revision of contracts, you know, moving into the digital space, the MMA Act, all of these other incredible things that the Recording Academy does 364 days a year that are not as talked about as that one night where everybody has something to say. Right. Do they still do Grammy camp? Was that, is that still a thing too? It was like, I, that was, I feel like Grammy U was, old and camp was the high school. They still do that? They do that. We, we, I mean, we have a few different initiatives. Um, they have a bunch of camps where people can come in. Like if you want to submit songs, you want, pardon me, you, um, you're trying to connect with other people, producers, you want to get critiques on your music. You want to learn how to be a better songwriter, things of that nature. Like they just have so many awesome initiatives that aren't as highly publicized as the award show in January. So you think, so I'm gonna, so you think some of this heat, you should saying people are outside throwing rocks, right? And don't, not putting in the work. So right. I, it sounds like you feel like all of this criticism that usually comes out annually, right? It's always right after the nominations and then right after the awards. Right. Is, is, it sounds like you say that, that it's sort of comprehensive, it's sort of unfair. Is that a fair thing to say? I mean, everybody has the right to their opinion, but again, if you only worry about the Grammys two times a year, then your opinion doesn't isn't as valid to me as somebody who's in as a part of it day in and day out. Because if all you care about is making noise, you know, because you're disgruntled about something, but you're not doing anything to fix it, 
That's just like not going out and voting for the president, in my opinion. Oh, oh man, the community is terrible. Or not going out and voting locally. Oh, we got potholes. Oh, the cops are police. Do something or <laughs> shut up. Right, right, right. Because what was it? Because, yeah, I think 16, that's when you kind of brought them. I think they came involved in the festival. But was that the year that it was after Macklemore beat Kendrick? That was like a real bad year. Right. And that was another thing that like I raised my eyebrow at. I was like, how is this possible? I was like, how's anybody, and I forget the other nominees in the category, but any everybody in the category was supposed to beat Macklemore. But what the people don't realize in the Grammy stuff is from is the name recognition. You know what I'm saying? Especially if if us three right here on this call are voting in the hip hop category, right? And Kristen, this is not to single you out. But if you don't really listen to hip hop like that, you know, you're an occasional listener and you see Macklemore and you see this one, you see that one. Macklemore stands out because obviously he's a white artist, but not only does he play in the hip hop urban spaces, but he also plays in that world as well. So there's just a normal name recognition. Oh, I know this guy. I'm going to vote for him. Um, I don't think that's the best way to go about it because I don't vote in the categories where I don't consider myself an expert in the genre. So, you know, I'm in the hip hop space, I'm in the R&B space, and then I vote in the main categories. Outside of that, like, I'm not going over to the folk side, the countryside, just because I look at the paper and I recognize Taylor Swift, that's not to say that she made the best album. And so I wouldn't vote in that space, but because there was not enough membership and still isn't in the hip hop and R&B spaces, those mistakes kept being made, you know? And obviously when Whitney Houston wins, She's name recognition, but she's also the talent to go with it. So it's not a biggest deal. But when you're talking about hip hop or you're talking about certain pockets of R&B where there are more contemporary artists or maybe artists who don't have the biggest name, like the thing about the Academy is it's supposed to be the best music. That means if you're independent, that means if you want a major label, that means if it's your first album or your 50th album, who made the best project that year? And it's supposed to be from all walks of the industry. And so it shouldn't be, oh, because I have billboards in Times Square because I'm on Interscope, it should be, yo, I made the best album, but, you know, I'm on Mass Appeal. And so that's the, like the fight that we're still fighting and I'm still trying to get more of my peers to understand that process and to get involved. I mean, it's $100 a year. It's not a bunch of money that you pay to be a part of the Recording Academy, but for that $100, your voice goes a very long way. You know, I was an intricate part of, and I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to say about this, but being able to make sure that Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five got recognized this year for their Lifetime Achievement Award, as well as Salt and Pepper, as well as Selena, last year was Public Enemy. Those things don't happen if people who look like me are not in the room. No doubt. Okay, Chris. Yeah, I just looked it up and it was 2014, so it was two years before you started, Ture, that Macklemore and Ryan Lewis won over Drake, Jay-Z, Kendrick, and Kanye. Like okay. I said, everybody else in the everybody else in the category could have taken that home and it would have been less bright. But because Macklemore had a big year, Thrift Shop was huge. You know, not only would they play it in Mix Show on Hot 97, but they played at Z100. It was just like people saw the name and clicked it. And, and that's not the way that the voting system is supposed to work. Yeah, so I have, going off that, you said that you only vote in the categories you know. So do you want to kind of explain for a second um, just kind of, so you don't have to vote in every category, like you said, nope. explain how that works. And then also maybe give like a quick uh, overview of the nomination process. Cause I feel like 
this year specifically with the weekend not getting nominated anywhere I there were a lot of people saying he got snubbed so if you want to just kind of explain how that process works for those who don't know for sure so the way it's supposed to work and this is not to say that everything is absolutely perfect the way it's supposed to work is the voting community gets listen it's the first round ballot pick your favorite xyz of the year that's albums that's songs that's singers that's producers what have you um those numbers then go back and that becomes the that becomes the first ballot and then from the first ballot um everybody knows that there's another committee that kind of trims the fat if you will to make sure that things are in place to make sure that the wrong people are not in the wrong spots and, and things of that nature and also to make sure that um it's not a popularity contest they want to make sure that you know people who excel and the different genres and different fields are recognized. Um, I couldn't tell you how the weekend thing happened. In all honesty, I've asked a zillion and one people about it. Um, ultimately, was he voted on by his peers? The public face the answer would be no, because he wasn't on the ballot. Um, and, and there are supposed to be checks and balances in place to make sure crazy things don't happen, but ultimately, it's the will of the voters that is supposed to make the ballot and the voters, you know, although the music did well, obviously it's still breaking records and been one of the longest charting billboard records and, um, you know, since its release, but the will of the voters said that that wasn't amongst their favorite releases of the year. So to our, this, because the weekends thing, he, he made reference to the secret committee. Right. Is that, is that secondary? I think you said that the, the committee that trims the fat, it, do you think is that what he was referencing? This sort of other internal committee? Because I, I was always just wondering, what is he talking about? The right. So committee. everybody knows that there's, you know, there's three rounds of the Grammys. I'm not sure if everybody knows it, but yeah, um, it's been talked about. And really, the committee is only kept secret because you don't want people to campaign to these people. Like if Kanye knows he's up and 80 boxes of Yeezys come to my house. I'm probably more inclined to vote for Kanye, right? So you just don't want those names released to protect the people who dedicate their time and volunteer to do this and, and try to do the right thing and uphold the music. And that's why it's a quote unquote secret committee. But every it's not a secret. Everybody knows that there's a second step. They just don't know who's a part of it. And so, you know, the secret is just the anonymity of the names, but um, it's to make sure that there's still integrity there. Right, right. Well, I think almost to Chris's point, I wonder how many people know what you just said, that there's these rounds. I, Kristen, right, I, I would imagine not many people that even I know, Tor, would know that level of detail, um, sure. that there's several, that there's another committee and the anonymity makes, makes a lot of sense um, to it. But there is this sort of very clouded, uh, you know, you know, idea of, of what happens. Uh, and then it is a little bit of like, I want this to happen. And that's a little bit of like throwing a tantrum when you just don't kind of get what you want. So I feel you on that. My thing with The Weeknd is, and, and I think he's a, a really talented artist, you know, makes some dope music. You can't kick and scream when things don't go your way, but throw big parties when they do. When you nominate it and or you win, it's a celebration and the price goes up because it's Grammy Award women, winning and that's how you introduced on Good Morning America. But when you're not nominated or you don't win, then you kick and scream. And granted, we all want to win, but you got to lose graciously, just like you got to win graciously. 
But if you're not nominated for whatever reasons, then it's not, don't submit my music anymore and I'm boycotting and it's BS because had you won, there would have been none of that, you know? And I see it year after year. I play, I just pay way more attention now in my four or five years with the Academy as to how artists react when, you know, they on either sides of the nomination. Yeah, while we're talking about reactions, um, I saw a lot of reactions to Megan Thee Stallion winning Best New Artist. Um, I think I, I, I love I love her and I think she like deserves all the recognition she gets, but a lot of people are saying she's not new. Like she like her album, like Tina Snow did well in like 2018. Like it's, she's like, it's not like she just kind of came up. So I, that's what I'm kind of curious about from your perspective is how are things like decided like went for the best new artist of when someone's considered new because it's like no one's ever a new artist right um if we want to like truly do new then it should be the first thing they ever release is it like where's like the line drawn in your opinion where someone's new of like the recognition um i mean it is a very standard criteria that i know that they're looking at but ultimately because music has changed so much the technology has changed so much you know, and especially in the hip hop space, you might put out three mixtapes or EPs before your debut album comes out, you know? So the, the, the music that is kind of introducing you and ushering you into the world may not be your magnum opus or may not be the first like big thing you put out, but just like those baby steps leading up to it, you know? But ultimately nobody, I don't think anybody is a new artist because everybody has a start. Everybody's Unless it's the first thing that you did in GarageBand, you put it on YouTube and it went triple platinum, you're not a new artist. Everybody has an origin story. Everybody has a grind. Um, but in the hip hop space, we do put out a little bit more music. Like maybe people didn't hear Tina Snow Megan. Maybe people didn't hear uh, 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 Big O' Freak Megan. They got familiar with Megan on Savage and Body. And that was really like her breakthrough work that made her a new artist to the general public and to the world, but to the people who are in those spaces, they have been seeing her come up and, you know, it's documented, obviously, you put out an EP in 2018, that's forever documented, but maybe your, your you know, breakthrough happened in 2019 to 2020, and that's when you got recognized by all of your peers and not just in that small hub of the community that you bubbled in. Yeah, I think it's interesting how you use the word breakthrough, because that's kind of the conversation I've seen a lot of people talking about online, is uh, they used to see a lot of people saying that they need to change the title of from best new artist to breakthrough artist. Um, and I think, cause that it always is like when people like kind of defend it, they're always like, it's about the breakthrough. So then why is it still called best new? Um, right, and I think right. that, that one always riles people's feathers every year where that discussion just comes back For up sure. and then people forget about it in a week. Yeah. It's semantics, it's, it's definitely the wording of it. I think if you reword and rework certain things, you know, there were certain categories in the hip hop space that needed to be reworked and reworded because of the way the music was coming out, the sound of the music was changing. And so, you know, again, you got to evolve. The thing about the Academy is that, that, you know, there's a process to change. And sometimes it can take a little longer, whereas we know the music happens like this. So, you know, that's something that we can absolutely work on is just, you know, the less steps you need to take to put some things into effect. You know, it shouldn't take super long to make a change. Like if we see it messed up in 2020, then by 2021, we should get it right. So Tor, I got two questions for you. One to kind of finish the, this, the Megan issue. So is it, um, it, when you say, so mixtapes, EPs, cause that was like the chance 
thing, right? That it wasn't for sale. Right. So he didn't qualify at first. But is it like, is, 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 does the Academy consider major label, full length LP is considered your first release? Like, is, is there, is there a, a very clear, like in bylaws or something that it has to be a certain like length, a number of right. songs or time limit to be considered right. like an album that right. includes mixtapes? Is it that? Organized. Well, there's, there's, yeah, there's a runtime thing, um, oh. but ultimately, like if you look at even the Chance the Rapper situation, that was something that we were able to fix because Chance was an artist who wasn't putting his music out for sale, right? And so just because the music was on DSPs, you know, Apple Music title, uh, you know, Spotify, what have you, but it wasn't for sale, he was ineligible for years because it had to be a product sold you know, again, there are no physical stores really. So as the world starts to change, the academy has to change, but it has to change at a rapider pace. You know, and again, that's how you got to recognize hip hop. Yo, Chance the Rapper was one of the biggest artists in the game, but because he wasn't selling his projects or he had never put out an official album, he was ineligible. But if it's supposed to be about who's making the best music, then that negates everything else. And so you have to rectify was that a conversation that you were having internally with, with, with the academy? Were you, and how involved were you in that changing of the rules that allowed Chance to win? So I got in, and I'm sure Christian can pull up the year, but I got in as that was happening. Like, so that those talks were happening just as I was coming around. So I was privy to just kind of like the end of the conversation. I think I was there when the decision had been made, but it hadn't been publicized yet. Got it, got it, got it. Um, and then the, the other thing I was, because I, I, I was sort of, um, anyway, so many things. I remember when, yeah, when, when, uh, when, when Q-Tip threw that tantrum, when they didn't win for, you know, we got it from here and he was, you know, on IG like, what's up, Ninth? He was almost calling out, because I think Ninth, is Ninth Wonder a member of, of the Academy? Is he on a committee as well? Because I feel... Or no. Does Ninth Wonder have six uh, credits to make him eligible to be a voting member? That's how I, I would answer no. that question. <laughs> Ninth has produced a bunch of music, a bunch of albums. So, you know, I mean, I'll let Ninth tell his story, okay. you know, um, because again, there's anonymity, um, but by the requirements, is he eligible to be a voting member? And, you know, by that part, be a part of certain academies and boards? The answer is yes. Okay. Yeah, I just thought it was weird because he started calling him out as if, Ninth had said something, but we let's not open up a can of worms. But but it, it was interesting. Um, I thought about it is like I was watching it, and then Weekend was mad, and all of this stuff going into it, and then Freddie Gibbs is out there just kind of happy, happy as a pig in slop, right? And then you know, then Nas and Hip Boy win, and then you see all of those posts come up, and I had the same thought. I was like. Where was this this energy source change real fast? You know, when 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 you get what you want. And I actually put out a tweet is like, I imagine that the Grammy, that the Academy, it just almost laughs at our complaints because it's it's like a child who throws, and then you give him a lollipop and now you're your best friend again. I, I think it sometimes weakens our position because we waffle so much. If you look at the media, right, and the position that the media plays in it. The biggest story is the weekend says this, and you know, the salacious, more scandalous story is what they'll run with. They won't run with an independent artist from Gary, Indiana, who made a pure hip hop album 
and, and got his first Grammy nomination, which opens up a million and one doors for him. They won't talk about Freddy Grip, Freddie Gibbs, and Alchemist performing at the Black Music Collective's inaugural Grammy Week celebration. They won't talk about Nas, 20 plus year veteran, you know, winning his first Grammy. That's never the story because that's the good part of the Academy that they don't want to talk about. They rather say Megan's not new and the weekend was snug, you know. But there's always two sides. Like for everybody who Royce the Five Nine, who's publicly talked about the Grammys, was even happy about his nomination. We are artists, we are creators, but we also sensitive people that want to be recognized when we think that we put out our best work by a, a body of our peers. Yeah, I gotta say too, I can't lie. When I saw those nominations for like whatever's best rap album, I almost felt like you had something to do with that. Cause I was like Royce the Five Nine allegory, like who voted for that? Like who 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 was advocating for that? That was not that old middle-aged white guy who votes for Eminem and Macklemore. That was a head behind the that. Old, the old middle-aged white guy by design should not be in the hip hop room because that's not the space where we feel you have your expertise. It should be the people that are in the studio, are in you know the creation of projects, the people that make the music, the people that listen to the music, the people that consume the music. And like I said, again, you know, I don't go to the country space just because I recognize you know, Shania Twain's name and go check that box because that that's that's there's no integrity in that. Just because I, I see somebody who I'm familiar with, she might not have made the best album. It might have been Breland, you know, it might have been Mickey Guyton. Yeah. But because that's not my world, I just don't I don't dabble over there, whereas other people do. And that's why we need to increase the voter membership. But but who voted for Freddie Gibbs and who voted for Race to Five Nine was the voting community. It's just more of us now. So we can say, hey, I love this Royce album. I listened to it all year since it's been released. And now I have a say so in if it makes it onto the ballot or not. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And as much as I give it a hard time, I always am mad until I talk to you. And then I realize that I need to chill the hell out and listen to what you're saying. Because what you're saying is so, uh, my complaints are, I, I'm, I'm one of those people just emotional. And not what what you're saying is logical, and I, it's it's you you win the day in my mind. But I do think that we should look at these nominations this year as seeing a fundamental difference. Jay Electronica, Freddie Gibbs, Nas, who else was Royce? Yeah, and then the other brother I did not know. Um, but you could you, there's difference. But I would say to this, there's a systemic problem, right? Because people have been complaining since. Um, you know, Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff and Diggable Planets beat the chronic and uh, Jethro Toe won the first medal and Herbie Hancock won record of the year. It seems to me that the systemic problem, it's America, this is America, it's racist, it's misogynistic. We get that, right? The invisible hand is everywhere. Right. White straight men control things that they have no business controlling. But it seems to be structurally why do you allow, why would you even, why are there not rules to bar Torre from voting on country when it's clear that Torre's expertise is not in country? Because what is happening is we're getting some engineer from classical checking boxes, deciding that somehow Macklemore is better than Kendrick. Why doesn't the Academy bar this cross-pollination, which if I'm not, it just seems to me that's the, that's the poison. 
Why don't they fix that? Or is that or is that a wrong assessment in your opinion? Um, yeah, I mean, it, there's supposed to be integrity and honor in it, right? It's like any other honor system. You expect people to 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 be true in what they're telling you um, because of, it is a, a privilege, but it's also the music community. And so you want to do right by the music community. If you are a voting member, you're a part of the community, you want to see it represented in the best light. Um, because who's to say that, although I make hip hop music and write in the hip hop space, that I'm not an avid jazz listener, you know? So if I'm familiar with the category, no matter where my, my business lies or where the genre that I create in, if I'm familiar with another category, then I should be able to go to that category. I think that because there was like a lack of hip hop community in the space initially, as they put these new categories forward, you know, with, with Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince winning the first rap Grammy, how many people were voting from the rap space at that time and since then? You know, so listen, we got a category, we got to fill it and somebody's got to win, but we don't have the population of people to do it the right way. And so that's why people were voting in places and spaces that they shouldn't have been. Um, so ultimately it's about people like myself advocating to some of my peers and saying, listen, we want to make sure that we got, we got more than enough releases to, to populate a category. We want to make sure we have more than enough people there to make sure that is, is judged right as well. Yeah, because I guess the right, it's sort of undemocratic. It's a little creepy what I said, right? That yeah, because now you're you know, like you can't that Torrey your black man from Coney Island. Sorry, go ahead, Tor. No, yeah, you you but no, go ahead, go. You you no, you I was it's, it's almost like it's it's a little racist. What I'm implying is that a black man from Coney Island, of course, cannot speak on folk music or polka music because he's black and. Yeah. Right, there is something kind of like unseemly about the rigidity. Like, if you look at you, we both know Drew Howe, right? This is an example. Big Drew Howe dug down. If you look at Drew, you say hey, he probably should be voting in record of the year. You know what I'm saying? Is Drew well versed in hip hop? Has he been a part of some of the most classic albums and some of the most important hip hop artists from Brooklyn, New York? Absolutely. So is he an expert in that space? Yes. You can't just judge it because his name is Andrew Freeman. <laughs> and he lives out, you know, in 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 another place, you know. So I was going to drop his government name too. I was going <laughs> to Andrew Friedman. Listen, yeah. short Jewish guy, Andrew Friedman. You know, he got a couple of dollars. Is he supposed to know hip hop? No, is he an expert? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's right. It it goes it it goes to the anti-racist nature of hip hop specifically. That nobody cares that Andrew. Nobody knows who Andrew Friedman is. But people love Druha, and that's the right. that that's the the ill Caucasian as uh, from that. <laughs> check, check the persuasion, right? <laughs> persuasion. But shout out Druha, and shout out Andrew Barber tour from Andrew Fitch Barber facial drop. Absolutely, thank there you, you Kristen, and and sorry Andrew, we do love you. You are shoot Andrew out there Chicago, that that whole chance to rapper. I want this. Our world be fundamentally different without facial drive advocating for people in that Midwest. So I don't want to, I don't want to disrespect Andrew. That whole, like, I mean, if you look at, you know, from Chief Keith to, to Chance, to G Herbo, to um, King Vaughn, like all of these artists that are breaking out of that space, if there was no fake sure drive, I mean, so much to a point that even Sirius XM has given them a space to showcase artists because they realize, you know, the importance of the artists coming from the Midwest and specifically out of Chicago that are breaking through and really killing it.
Yeah, that's true. That's important to, to mention. And same thing with dirt. Right. I saw a thing with um, that duck down put on IG of like Sean P. Rest in peace. Explaining why Buck and Drew would have never signed Old Dirty Bastard. That was crazy, right? See that thing? I thought that was the most brilliant piece of content. And talk about how strict Buck was, you know, recording those things. But anyway, we could have a whole. Maybe I need to get good old Andrew Friedman and Kenyatta. Yeah, yeah get those guys on. What is Kenyatta Blake? Right? Blake. Kenyatta Blake. Yeah. Kenyatta Blake, aka Buckshot and Drew to talk. That would be great to see what they did because. Every time I see somebody wearing fatigues, I'm like, they need to take Buckshot of royalty. Be the royalty, right? No, Bucks, Tim's, uh, with Tim's with, with 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 camouflage and backpacks, and that hat from Who Got the Props. I was on the train last night coming back from Boston. I saw a white girl get on at in Providence, Rhode Island, looking like goddamn Buckshot, and I was like, this <laughs> up, like, and I don't think, and if I ever said that to her, she'd be like. Please leave my personal space. What the hell? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? That's the influence, like, that's of, influence on fashion. That's the influence of the culture, man. Like, I, I, I was, you know, yesterday was my birthday, right? And so I was on IG Live for like four hours. I was playing music and I just had some of my favorite people checking in and Rock from Helter Skelter from Bootcamp Clip, you know, part of that family. Um, you know, he tapped in and I was so influenced by them, the way they dress, you know. When Buck wore the hockey jersey and I got you open, I went out and got a, a Montreal Canadiens jersey. I never watched a game of hockey in my life. <laughs> did the NFL care? I mean, the NHL care? Did they care that I never watched the team? Or did they care that my $80 went to buying that jersey? That That is hip-hop in the nutshell. Yeah. We make fashion. We make culture. We sell everything. You turn the TV, you got, you selling cereal, you selling beer. You, you got a restaurant. You like, we hip hop is ingrained into every part of marketing promotion, ultimately selling because the culture generates so much money um, for, for all these other various businesses. I mean, where would the world be without hip hop making shit cool? Yeah, that's a fact. But anyway, we got a couple minutes left here, but I want to get back to, to, to the, um, I just had this other like thought that two things that, you know what would change, what would be interesting is, is we need to go, maybe we should go into the country category, all the hip hop voters that you have corralled. <laughs> and maybe we need to start throwing their thing off and, and vote for somebody. I wonder how that would go. And But anyway, but that's a little childish. But it's almost, I had this thought that you're like, um, you almost could be like the Stacey Abrams of the music. <laughs> of like, yeah. you know, I'm dead serious yeah. about how Stacey was like, I'm going to Georgia and I'm changing it. Right. Is that I think somehow what you're doing is like I'm going to this academy, which has historically screwed us or got it wrong. Right. And now all you got to do is is register more voters. I'm and turning then the, the, the academy into a blue state. No, I try to do my best to educate you know my my counterparts into how the process works. Ultimately, it's up to everybody to decide if they want to join, if they want to be a part of it. But you know, again, I say that the Academy is much more than just the Grammys. You might find your passion in something that's totally different outside of a gold statue. You know, yes, do we all like shiny, nice things, of course, but you might mentor a kid that doesn't have any idea what the music what the music industry is going to bring him, and you can be a part of somebody's career. Imagine somebody in the Recording Academy, Kanye West was in Grammy U, found a mentor in the Recording Academy and went on to do all the amazing things. Now you are part of this incredible success story 
And you might never win a Grammy in your life, but look how this life you changed, you know? So those are the things that keep me passionate about the Recording Academy, the change that I see is making. And ultimately, do I want to see hip hop recognized in, in, in a much better space? Of course, but as much as I love what we do at the Recording Academy, I want to see that for the Soul Train Awards. I want to see that for the NAACP Awards. I want all of the spaces and places that celebrate Black people to get it right, to do it right, and to be populated by, you know, Black people as well making the best decisions, you know? So that's not only that's not only held to the Recording Academy, but to all of these different entities. Same with what's going on in, in television and film. I mean, for as much as you hate the Recording Academy, you see what's going on with TV. They got no Black people nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> right. What, is it, what was it? Golden Globes had no... Yeah. I think zero percent, right? Like, that is... Anything that's like the first Black or no Black in 2021 is mind-blowing to me. The first Black person to do that. How? We've been yeah. here, dog. We've been here. We've been that's doing enough. shit. How are we just getting recognized for... So we've never been great up until George Floyd was murdered? Is that what you're telling me? Is yeah. that a crack of bullshit? Yeah, I'm almost tired. You know, I see all these things like the U the UNC have just got their first black board chair. There was a sister who's the I think she's at Walgreens now. I want to next time I see this first black first woman thing, I want those posts to be angry, like you just saying. I don't want to. Yeah. I mean, I want to. I'm outraged by it. Yeah, of course you want to celebrate the people, but for as amazing as those people are, had there not been people before that, like we shouldn't be celebrating the first black anything. You know, unless we say the first black female president of the United States. Outside of that, I think it's it's ridiculous. But again, you know, art imitates life, music, and all of these things. It's all from the bigger skew, the bigger picture of it all. It's not just the Recording Academy has done racist shit. It's America has yes. been racist in all of its places and designs, and we are slowly undoing all of it yeah. at this time. So to our last shot, what can we do? I feel like I've, I've asked you this many times, but one, what can, what, sh, what should, we, what can we do what, to, to help your cause? Cause I think you, right, you just need to get more voters to understand this. And I hope that this podcast gets you at least two more, three people, but what else could I'll like, take those three. cause I can't vote, right? Cause I'm not right. on the executive you side. Could, you, right, but you could be, so there's two parts of membership too. There's a professional member, who um, can still be a part of the Academy and still have a say so. You just can't vote on the music because you don't make music. But there's a whole bunch of, like I, I mentioned, all these other things that professional members can be a part of. So that's one thing. Um, I mean, ultimately, you know, yeah, more voters is cool. We just launched the Black Music Collective. Um, and, and that board is made up of some amazing people like Deborah Lee, like Quincy Jones, like no, D Nice, like Jimmy Jam. Yeah, too. Sure, I know we, we, we may be going over, but can you explain what that is? Because I'm not sure I fully understand the Black Music Collective. So the BMC, um, shout to Riggs Morales. You may know Riggs from Shady Records, uh, Atlantic. He's been there. Great guy, part of community culture. He put together a proposal um, saying that the Recording Academy needs to have a, a board, if you will, of Black creators, people in our space, people who understand our space to make more decisions, to, to make have more initiatives, um, to, to highlight certain people and certain things. And so it went national, it got the support. Uh, shout out to Jerry L, who's the 
um, who's the, the sponsor on the Recording Academy side. And it's been amazing thus far. Like I said, it was the inaugural week of the, of the Black Music Collective this past Grammy week. And I would just suggest people stay tuned because we shaking shit up. You know, we shaking shit up. This is not quote unquote, your grandfather's recording academy. It's a new day. There are a lot of amazing people in positions of power in place. Shout out to Harvey Mason Jr. Who's the interim acting president and the chair, CEO and chair. Um, Valicia Butterfield Jones, who's DEI. Um, you know, we just, we got, we got some really brilliant people who happen to be black in a lot of great spaces. And that's not to say that, you know, no other race is gonna be taken care of, but like, if you do what, what right by one, then everybody else should be done right by, you know? So like the changes that they making in the black music space, because what isn't black music, right? The things that they making, the changes that they making in those spaces will trickle down into everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, as long as there's inequality to one, there's inequality to everybody. So let's straighten it all out. Listen to this guy. According to my watch, Tor will be the president of the Recording Academy in six years, tops. This is, I'm telling, I'm, right? Or maybe- I'm gonna book that. I'm gonna book, book that, book yeah. It, book it, I put, that's my prediction, top six years. Cause this is exactly it. You you got it, Toy, man. Listen, you should run for office, bro. You got it. I love it. I love to hear it. I have well, a triggered pass. Triggered pass. So we're gonna end it there. I wanna thank our guest, Mr. Torre Carr, AKA Torre. Catch him, SiriusXM is- Hip Hop Nation, right, so SiriusXM is the platform. Hip Hop Nation is the channel, 44, Monday through Friday. Uh, wake up with me, on the wake up, Torre, 6 a.m. to 12 noon Eastern time, Monday through Friday. We have amazing guests, we have incredible conversation. Um, you know, I use my platform for like good. We had Quali and Diamond on last week. We had Des Gray, the amazing director and visionary, um, Haitian woman who grew up without a TV, so directing some of your favorite music videos, um, Nas prior to that. You know, like, I just try to make sure that my platform is spaced the time that I'm on the box. I'm, I'm just giving you positivity, good energy, education, and vibes. Yeah, great, Jay. I love it. I love to see you shine, man. I love to see you blowing up. Keep doing you, it, brother. and hopefully we can help you. in whatever way we can. Absolutely. Wes, thank you, man, for always being a phone call or a text away. Even when I brought the Recording Academy, although you were very much apprehensive and said, listen, I know hip hop's relationship with the Grammys and I don't want to sully what I built here being in partnership with you, but still allowed us to put on the panel to try to get, you know, again, that was, that was an initiative to try to drive membership, educate yeah. people about the Academy. And, um, you know, I knew they had a budget. And I said, you know, if it wasn't that year, maybe down the line, we could work together to help grow the Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival. So before I go, where are we at with, with the BHF, man? What's what's going on? I don't know, bro. It might be the. I think it's it's the end of an era, man. It's really? it's it was it was to be honest, it was you know it was me and Ab running it. It was we never had no corporate backing. It was quite risky. We were financially exposed every year. You know, it'd be good years, bad years. We got, it's just a little, it wears you out, man. You know what I mean? And you got kids and, you know, family. I got kids, I, I just, that that sort of fluctuation was in that, I was, you know, you know, my oldest, Miles, he never had a summer his whole life because the whole summer was spent on that. Now we got little baby Frank. So I think we kind of got, it might, it might be, that might be, and then we were toying with it, but with COVID, 
to be honest, I don't even know. I'm scared, not scared. I'm very wary of what's going to be like, you know, Post when it's back. Yeah, yeah, for I sure. Love no, I get it. In a, in a more manageable way. But, you know, the way we used to do it, man, that was a lot. It's a lot of work. A lot of work. Um, a lot of work. But I, love- I would see it. And I was just there for, you know, like, I just checked in and checked out. But I know how much it took to put on the show. Um, and I always just want to commend you and Ebony for always putting together an amazing, you know, lineup. And the whole week, you know, as it grew, was always super, super dope. And, and, and you never sold out. You know what I'm saying? It never became you know, Viacom's Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival. Yeah. You know, it never became, you know, Pepsi's Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival. Yeah. You always kept it true. And 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 for that, I always take my hat off to you because that yeah. I just know what it takes to get it done. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. It's hard. I mean, I want it's gonna come back. The energy will be in a different form. I don't know if it's gonna look quite look like that again, but um I feel like like you were talking about the conference and the panels we did, you know, that's personally as I get a little older is what I'm more into is these conversations. And I brought that energy up to Emerson. And now I love the idea of bringing you, involving you with Emerson. So that's kind of where my passion is. Well, it'll bring come back in some sort of way. I don't know what, but at, at the same time, and I guess I want to put this in, I know we're over time, Kristen, but there's a time to live and there's a time to die. I think it was just, we, we was around for 15 years. That's a long run. And it's it sometimes to everybody out listening, it's sometimes to be like, it's time to move on because move on. if Ray was still out there trying to, you know, still pushing, you know, albums to, 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 to blogs like we used to run, you wouldn't have the energy to do the Grammys. And I think what you're doing with the Grammys is solving a problem, a systemic problem that's been, been a, a thorn in the side of the culture since the Fresh Prince of Jazzy Jeff. I'd rather you do that than put all of your energy mailing out records from your crib. We gotta move forward and then you gotta leave all yeah, things behind, sure. unfortunately. For but sure. um, you know, I so I, I'm happy to do it, but I'm I'm also not gonna shed too many tears that we're moving on because I love what I'm doing now. Um and, and we always gotta elevate. Fine, cool. for sure. For we gotta sure. bring you up to tour tour. We're gonna get you to come and talk to one of our classes too. We'll love to, man. You know, I'm here. I'm here. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. I hope that I was able to um, further enlighten people in the process, educate some new people. Kristen, it was great meeting you. You know, thank you for your time as well, as well today.